let's just uh, first go through what has gone before for those of you who are joining us for the first time today. Uh, so we've got seven points, we are at point six today. So point one is the preliminary practices, so all sorts of foundational practices that we're doing, mindfulness of breathing, ethics, etc. But it also um, is, uh, point one is also about the reminders that motivate us um, to practice. So the reminders come down to do we use this precious opportunity? How are we using this precious opportunity that our life is providing for us? This life, this body, these opportunities, what are we doing with them? And the suggestion is to use them for developing uh, bodhicitta, so the heart-mind uh, oriented towards compassion and wisdom, which is, according to the teachings, the only sane way that we can respond to what's happening in our lives, what's happening around us. So that is uh, point one. And then point two is about uh, meditation instructions, really, and it had two parts. And one is about the meditation practices that um, uh, point towards the insubstantial nature of, of, of mind, basically. Absolute bodhicitta, uh, letting go of our uh, fixed um, views uh, of the world, uh, letting go of clinging to our experience, just experiencing what comes up in mind is flow, not identifying with any of it. And uh, it also is about instructions to develop compassion, and that uh, we're doing by practicing the tongue and practice, using the breath to turn towards uh, difficulties and suffering and breathing out uh, anything that's helpful and supportive on the out-breath. And in point three, we were looking at uh, how to bring adversities onto the path. So how to use all of these difficulties that we encounter in our lives to as as um, the compost really for for our practice. How do we actually um, turn them around and not see them as obstacles, but see them as support for our practice, which is quite a, a different mind frame, quite a helpful mind frame, I think. And then uh, point uh, four, we're looking at the forces that we're using, the, the powers that we're utilizing in practice, which I can't go into now. And then for uh, the last point we did last week, uh, that was um, evaluation of uh, the practice. How do we actually know whilst we're doing these practices, do we progress, do we make progress on the path? And then we looked at some measures to, to check this uh, with our own practice. So then we're landing on to uh, point six, which is today. And this is all about what's well, called the disciplines of mind training. But it's quite an interesting um, topic, I find. It's all about bonds, commitments, responsibilities, vows, um, and the, the role they're playing in our lives. Now, the, the big vow in the mind training, uh, the big commitment is about um, developing compassion and developing wisdom, developing bodhicitta, that is the big commitment of the mind training. And you could say in a Buddhist practice, the commitment is towards enlightenment. And uh, in the Mahayana tradition, you would add uh, gaining enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. So it becomes a much larger uh, perspective. So, so I'm quite interested to go into this area a bit more of what are these vows, what are these commitments, what are these responsibilities, what is it all about? And um, another word, it's a Tibetan, well, it's not Tibetan word, I don't quite know what kind of word it is, Samaya, at least it's called Samaya, which is another word for bond. 
in the you often hear it in the uh, Tibetan tradition. So samaya could also be like a set of bonds or a set of commitments, a set of responsibilities that you take on. In relation to, it could be to take on a particular practice, uh, take on that from now on, I'm going to do mindfulness of breathing one day and the metta bhavana another day. That could be particular, a particular promise that you're making, a particular bond that you're setting up for yourself. Or it could be the uh, precepts. Um, so in our tradition, Tri Ratna, um, when you become a mitra to the tradition, a friend, uh, you take on the five precepts, uh, the five precepts widely known in the Buddhist tradition. So you actually commit yourself to practicing in an ethical way, to develop kindness, to develop generosity, and uh, to develop mindfulness. So you could see these precepts as, as, as vows, as, as bonds that you're taking on at that point. And then also in our tradition we have, uh, when you become an order member, when you become an order member, uh, you receive a Buddhist name, you receive uh, uh, this thing, which is a Kesa. And we have here in our midst today, Vilasami, who has come back from her uh, ordination retreat, who's also taken on particular, um, well, vows, you could say, particular commitments to um, a life, a Buddhist life. And uh, so she's taken on uh, more, um, a, a few more precepts. And she's also undertaken to accept ordination for the benefit of all beings. So there's a particular uh, set of responsibilities that you're undertaking. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to commit myself to. And just on a lighter note, that's quite a big, that's quite a big commitment. And that's what you then sort of start to work with. But on a lighter note, I remember in March I was on this retreat. And an order member who was ordained in the same batch as I am 30 years ago, I just noticed how her case now looks much whiter than mine. So I was asking, how do you do that? Because mine looks a bit grubby. And she said, well, I'm using this particular kind of uh, uh, washing liquid, whatever she's using for it, and I'll send you, I'll send you the, uh, the, um, the, the brand that I'm using, and I'll tell you how to do it. But she hasn't done it yet. Mm. So I'm just saying, maybe if she's uh, seeing this recording later on. <laughs> but just... Maybe that's a, it's a light thing, but it also for me demonstrates something about um, the weight of a promise. And the, so somebody, not you know, just in general, yeah, somebody's making you a promise. I'm going to phone you and I'm going to explain this and this to you. I'm going to turn up on that particular day. I'm going to help you doing this and this and that. So there is a weight behind that promise. In, and, and there is also a kind of a bit of a breaking down of trust when that promise isn't honoured. And I think it's quite interesting to reflect on that. And I think one of the uh, learnings about that is don't make a promise lightly. And uh, I always feel a bit bad about, you know, I'm still remembering I've got this in inbox and there's an email there. Somebody's asking me to do this and that and the other. And I haven't responded to them. And I still that still keeps sort of coming into my consciousness now and again. So... In order to work with that, it's quite interesting to look at those commitments and those bonds and those responsibilities that you're taking on. And, well, my advice would certainly be to not take them too lightly. And we have all sorts of bonds in our lives, so we've got them. If we are a member of a Buddhist community, we might take on these formal uh, commitments there. 
but you could also have lots of other bonds in your life that have a huge impact and give your life a particular direction. So you could just think about like a, a marriage, marriage vow. That's it is another vow. It's another kind of commitment, or your commitment to your friends, or your work contract. Just think about a piece of work that you need to finish, accomplish. Uh, commitment towards your colleagues, to your parents, to your children, to your family members. So you see what I mean? We've all in our lives have quite a lot of these different bonds, responsibilities, promises and vows running through it, which give our life a particular direction. And um, so it could be that um, um, some of these vows at some point might not really sit together very well which is also when conflict starts to enter our, our lives. It just may be that you're, um, you could have also internal commitments, like a commitment to particular values, like the value of freedom, or the value of generosity, or a value of being a trustworthy person. There's all sorts of those. So you could see how sometimes these vows and promises are starting to kind of clash a bit. Yeah. A marriage vow, for instance. I mean, if you've got this big value, which is freedom, you might, you know, that that might really cause some friction and conflict in your life. If if that's just a simple example, I just think that uh, this would be an interesting thing to think about and reflect on. And we're hopefully going to do a bit uh, of that after I've uh, finished speaking about this topic. So these vows can sometimes have. Um, lots and lots of passion behind them, lots of weight behind them. You know, you can take a lighter one, but you could also take quite a, a strong vow. And uh, some vows in the Buddhist tradition can even uh, continue from lifetime to lifetime. So you have the vow of the Buddha uh, towards uh, enlightenment. And it's said in the Jataka tales that the Buddha's vow to become enlightened continues from lifetime to lifetime to influence him. And that's how his, his lifetimes are, um, are playing out. I don't know how much that speaks to your imagination, but maybe you could just translate it into that could be a direction of a whole life if you put a lot of passion and, and commitment uh, behind such a, such a vow that you're taking. And um, also in the uh, Buddhist tradition, um, there is the image of um, Avalokiteshvara, who breaks his vow at some point. And um, I'll just say, first say a bit about the nature of vows. Some vows, I think, if there is a huge amount of passion and commitment behind them, they're a bit like, um, they're like vases, but they're like porcelain vases. So just imagine that if you break the vow, it drops on the ground and it breaks in all through its pieces. So that's very, very difficult then. It just has a huge shattering effect on your life if you don't, don't live up to that commitment, to that vow that you made. But other vows, they're much easier to mend, as it were. They could be like metal vases, so you drop them and there's a dent in them and you can just, you know, kind of bang on them and then they kind of heat whole again. Mm. So a preset could be sometimes like that. Uh, so you promise to do something you haven't done it, and it's fairly easy to mend, as it were, fairly easy to mend. But with Avalokiteshvara, uh, I'm just using that image because of the, the vase that uh, breaks down in, uh, in lots and lots of pieces. Avalokiteshvara has taken the Bodhisattva vow, and he is a figure from the, the Buddhist tradition, the Mahayana tradition. 
And uh, so he's, the vow that he's taken is to, um, he wants to, um, he wants to gain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings and he wants all beings to be happy and he wants to help all beings be happy. So that's a huge amount of energy behind that vow. And then at some point, he has this thought, this is impossible, I can't do this, I just got to give this up, something of that nature. And then the story says he breaks in million pieces and he just, he just breaks completely, uh, breaks up into all these pieces. And then what happens is, I think it's Amitabha that comes, which is another figure in the Buddhist vision, the Buddha of, of love and compassion, you could say comes and sort of pieces him all together again. And then he ends up having like three heads and loads and loads of different arms. I think Amitabha hasn't done a great job putting him back together. But anyway, he's all put together and he's got these thousand arms. But I just wanted to say that uh, because it's, it's, it signifies the enormous drive behind that vow that he's made to gain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. Okay, so that's something about breaking vows and vases. Um, yeah, I think that's all I've got to say really about uh, about um, uh, vows and promises. Um, so some of them are uh, stronger than others. Some of them have a stronger impact. So do be wise with them and don't make promises and vows lightly. That's that's certainly what I think would be recommendable. And um, in the in point six of uh, the seven point nine twenty, there's a lot of slogans that's all about uh, the bonds to uh, the seven point nine training, and some of them are like. Um, refinement of, of, of the ethical precepts that most people take on, most Buddhists take on. And so this is, um, I, I couldn't remember how many exactly they are, but I think there are about 16 or so uh, in this part, or 18. And I've just taken a selection of, um, of these particular um, commitments that you're making in the mind training. Uh, that are recommended in the in these teachings. So I'll just uh, give you a selection of those, just for as an illustration, and maybe some of them speak to you, some of them less so. Uh, the first one I've selected is um, a slogan that is about "Don't dwell on others' problems," uh, which I think is quite an interesting thing. I hear often, and myself find myself sometimes doing this as well, that you're talking about like what other people, what's happening in their lives and how they're not practicing this, that and the other. Sometimes I'm hearing this in the Buddhist community and uh, people get upset because people don't do this, that and the other. You know, they think this person should be not doing it and they should not have said that and they should maybe do something completely different. And we spend quite a lot of time talking to each other about that and thinking about that. Well, the mind training says, well, you know, just... Don't do, don't do this, and uh, think about your own, uh, think about your own mind, and uh, see how it impacts you, and work with what you can do in relation to your own mind, training your own mind, rather than spending all this energy onto pondering what others are doing or not doing. Yeah, so that is one of the uh, recommendations, one of the bonds um, in this um, uh, seven point mind training system, and another one. 
um, which I feel um, has made a big impact on how I practice at least, is the recommendation um, work with the greatest defilements first. And what is meant by that is in your life, I think everybody of us, you just know what is most, um, has the most impact on your life in terms of um, a particular characteristic that isn't helpful that you're displaying. Maybe you're causing yourself suffering or you're causing other people suffering in some sort of way. And I think we all, if we reflect on this, probably know what it is. Like the biggest thing that we could transform that, that will have an impact on, uh, on our lives and that will make our lives more, more ethical, more compassionate, uh, more mindful. So that um, we're, 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 we're urged or we're recommended or to work with that first, whatever that is, just put energy into that thing, whatever it is that's, that's causing most grief in your life uh, at the moment. So that's another uh, of these um, slogans. And uh, another one um, is about uh, give up hope. On results, I was just going to add that quickly. <laughs> Give up hope on results. Um, it's also sometimes formulated, abandon any hope of fruition, which I think is a really interesting one. And how does this work? I think sometimes, you know, I'm giving a talk, for instance, and then I notice myself after that, that I feel like other people need to say, oh yeah, you did that really well. Excellent talk, one of your best, Josh, you're really fantastic. And, or, you know, that I start to kind of look out for that, like needing mm -hmm. them in a particular way. Well, then I know if that happens, mm -hmm. that I'm invested in a particular way um, in that uh, feedback that isn't really about just uh, wanting to uh, give a talk for the benefit of all, including myself, but it's there is something self-invested in that. So it's a really interesting sign to notice that if you're getting that sense of disappointment, there is a particular investment there that wasn't really sort of, there's uh, something to look at really, it would be something to be interesting to explore. Mm. So uh, abandon any hope on, uh, on fruition. So let me see, I have a few more here. Um, oh, this I thought was an interesting one. Change your attitude but remain natural. What is meant by that? Um, well, you could take on uh, Buddhism, you can take on the Buddhist precepts, you can take on the Bodhicitta, but it doesn't mean that everybody needs to know about that all the time. Mm. So, for instance, uh, we can be Buddhists and uh, be really passionate about Buddhism. It doesn't mean that we need to, everywhere we go, you know, show, oh, I'm a Buddhist, and, uh, and your family, uh, you know, you don't really want to hang out with your family anymore because they're not Buddhists, mm. or... Or your friends, oh no, I don't want to talk to you because you're not a Buddhist, yeah? It's, I'm just trying to kind of find some examples here. So, um, yeah, so you could internally uh, have a particular um, attitude towards the world, like you want to develop wisdom and compassion, but it doesn't mean that it needs to inform your whole attitude, as it were, and that you need to start hanging out with other people. Or, yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing that we're encouraged to do. Oh, this is also an interesting one. Um, the next one. Don't speak about injured limbs. They all got these funny, uh, funny <laughs> formulations because they're very old. But what does this mean? 
It talks, uh, it is about, um, don't talk about people's weaknesses. Don't talk about other people's faults, the faults of others. And uh, Shantideva, who's, uh, who's uh, the author of the Bodhicharvatara, uh, spoke about this as being like a log. <laughs> so um, don't speak about others' faults to others. Basically, and I think it would be very good for me to remember this one as well because it's so tempting, isn't it, to start to talk to someone about like how your colleague is not good at this. And I find myself doing this. I, I must confess, mm. but it's not—it's not a good thing. It really isn't a good thing to do because it doesn't bring a, bring good um, a vibe into life. It's not supportive. I mean, it's good to be critical, but the the, the kind of um, you just got to look at the motivation behind when you start to doing that, yeah? When you start doing that, talking about other people's fault, what, there's usually something that isn't, that isn't, um, um, it's a bit dark there somehow. Hmm. So, we're recommended not to do that. So lastly, and this is one that I was trying to, I was sitting on the train yesterday, I was going to Margate to visit a friend, and um, so I was looking at which one of these slogans shall I incorporate in my talk. And I just decided to not do this one. Uh, don't, uh, don't keep score. And uh, so don't keep score is about uh, giving up resentment. So it's encouraging us to give up resentment. And just as I was about to, um, to scratch it, I was noticing in myself how incredibly irritable I was. <laughs> Because there is a child and a mother sitting next to me, and this child is screaming piercingly for about one and a half hours. Well, it had intervals that it wasn't screaming and it wasn't piercingly screaming, but and then you just obviously think, oh, well, the poor mother, it must be so hard. And you hear her saying, oh, this child is really tired and uh, yeah, she hasn't slept. Or, and everybody's trying to be really good about it, you know, because it is a horrible situation. Nobody can help it. It's a child. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's also quite difficult because you notice your whole body starting to kind of get into some sort of state of alarm because of the screaming. So anyway, so I thought I'll keep this in because I started to feel a bit resentful. And I thought I'm going to give this talk about bodhicitta. <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of feel really resentful about this child that's screaming next to me. So I thought this is a really good time to practice bodhicitta, a really good time to practice uh, uh, yeah, compassion and wisdom. So I'll just, I'll just work with that. So that was the one that I thought, let's keep that one in. So, yes, give up resentment. So if you do feel resentment uh, in your being, is, is it possible at all to, to give it up? Because it's not going to lead to happiness, is it? Feeling resentment. It's just going to build up and make us miserable. Make other people miserable. So if we can let it go, let's let it go. So that is what I wanted to talk about. And a few things that I'm hoping we'll reflect on is um, what kind of vows, bonds and promises are playing a role in your life at the moment? Really interesting to look at them, or are any of these in conflict? It'll be interesting to see that. And um, is there a bond that you wish you hadn't made, or maybe there is one that you're ready to make? 
So hopefully we can spend a bit of time reflecting on that.